to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Last week, Jeff began our season of generosity. We were looking at the first chapter of Nehemiah, and we're going to do the second chapter of Nehemiah today. But Nehemiah, last week we looked, and Nehemiah asked the question, How is Jerusalem? Nehemiah finds out that the walls are still crumbled, and he's he's devastated. Today, in chapter 2, we're going to pick up, and we're going to find out what it is that God calls Nehemiah to do about it. And I wondered, last week, as we worked our way into chapter 2, I wondered about the fact that the fact of the matter is we're asking that very same question now. How is Jerusalem, how is this land that we call holy, that's been called holy for generations by millions of people, how is that land? In between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Nehemiah, four months pass, and Nehemiah spends those four months dedicated to prayer and fasting. And so it seems to me this morning, as we move from chapter 1 to chapter 2, And as we wrestle with the same question, how is Jerusalem, that we too would spend some time in prayer for the land we call holy. So let me tell you what I want us to do. I'm going to use a prayer that was written, or it's a portion of the prayer, that was written by the president of Columbia Theological Seminary, Victor Aloyo. But I'll open, I'll start with a, a time of silence. I don't know what's on your heart. You're angry, you're frustrated, you're lamenting, you're devastated, you're confused. I don't know what's on your heart. So we'll have a time and a space, a a silence for you to lift up what feels important for you to be lifted up. And then I will pray for, for the land we call holy on our behalf using that prayer. And we'll kind of tie it in then with the prayer of illumination before we go into the scripture. So let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, we see images and hear stories of the unfolding violence in Israel and Palestine. Our heads are full and our hearts are heavy. We watch the unfolding brutality and violence, sectarianism and hate. Lord, have mercy. We choose not to turn away, but to turn to you as we pray the words of Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God of mercy and compassion, grace and reconciliation, pour your power upon all your children in the Middle East, Jews, Muslims, Christians, Palestinians, Israelis. We pray for those who are grieving and fearful. Let hatred be turned into love, fear to trust, Despair to hope, oppression to freedom, occupation to liberation. Violent encounters may be replaced by loving embraces 
and peace and justice could be experienced by all. Creator of this earth, you walked these lands with compassion and grace. Prince of Peace, would you walk there again today? We echo the words of the psalmist and the prophets. Hear the cries of orphans and widows swiftly bring justice and healing. Heal these lands. Make your presence known. Spirit of the living God, come afresh on your holy land. Lord, hear our prayer and may your kingdom come as it is in heaven. And be with us now as we turn to your word. Speak to us through it, that we would know what it looks like to live out our faith in this world, certainly as we respond to a global crisis, but also as we dare to walk faithfully in our own lives in Roswell, East Cobb, South Forsyth, wherever it is that we call home. Guide our reading and our steps, dear God. In your name we pray, amen. So now I'll invite you to join me in the second chapter of Nehemiah. I'll start at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 8. Listen now for the word of the Lord. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been so sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen was also sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that it may grant me passage until I arrive in Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, directing him to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me just tell you a little bit about how we got here in the first place, how we got to the second chapter of Nehemiah. So in 586, Jerusalem and its temple were conquered and destroyed by the Babylonians. And by the way, after they did all, they conquered all of the things, they sent out, they exiled the majority of the Israelites. The Persians then came in and conquered the Babylonians. King Cyrus at this point is the king of Persia, and he is led by God to invite the exiles to come back into their city. At this point then, there are three characters that you need to know about in the story that lead us to Nehemiah. The first one is Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was an exile who was born in, he was a a Jew who was born in exile. And he is the one that gets to lead back so many of these exiles back into the city of Jerusalem. And they rebuild the altar, and eventually they begin rebuilding the temple. 
following him is Ezra. Ezra is focusing more on uh, teaching the Torah, building the community, teaching the people what it looks like to be a faithful people. And then we get to our guy, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an Israelite who works for the Persian government in Babylonia. And the king at this point is King Artaxerxes. So last week, we see that, that Nehemiah learns that the walls of the city are still crumbles. They're, they're still rubble that are surrounding the city. And he's devastated about this. And he, he prays and he fasts for months. Now, do you need to know all that history? It's helpful. But what I want you to see is it's not just that Nehemiah is having a bad day at the office. This is years and years and generations of, of devastation and grief that Nehemiah is feeling as he, he comes before the king on this day in chapter 2. And it's not just that he, he's really upset about it, but think about it. This is his home. Jerusalem is his home. And even though he hasn't lived or worked there maybe ever, this is the place that has given him his identity. This is the place that's given him a people. This is the place that has oriented him to his very faith. Jerusalem is a part of his heart and his soul, a part of his very self. And here, it is surrounded by rubble. And so the scripture tells us he's sad and not only does it tell us he's sad, it tells us he's afraid. And of course he is. That which is foundational to, to who he is, to who he understands himself to be, has crumbled. And, and who even knows what's ahead when you don't know exactly where it is that you're standing? Of course you're terrified. And to see yourself or your people being surrounded by rubble, and that's part of what's so terrifying now as we think about our brothers and sisters. We grieve the folks in the land that we call holy with the wretchedness that they are enduring right now. And on a very, very different scale, we also acknowledge that there are places in our lives where we feel the rubble as well. It is awful, those places where we find ourselves, that there's parts of ourselves who have crumbled or, or parts of the people that we love that have crumbled and we have no idea what's ahead and so we're afraid, of course, we're afraid. I will give Nehemiah credit, though. He was honest with King Artaxerxes about his sorrow. He, he told him that his, his self had been shook now the walls of Jerusalem are a pile of rubble, and the king, the king asked a question I haven't decided. Is the king curious? Does he really want to help, or is he just annoyed with Nehemiah's foul mood? I'm not sure. But nonetheless, he asked the question, what do you request? How can I help? And this is the part of the story that I don't want you to miss. I'm willing to make a case that the next verse is the most important verse in the whole book of Nehemiah. I would consider it a hinge verse, that the whole book, all of what happens is going to hinge on exactly on what happens next. Because Nehemiah now has the ear of the most powerful human who can do anything about this situation, who can make a difference here. And before Nehemiah makes any kind of request, before the slightest plea, before he says a word, the scripture says this, so I prayed to the God of heaven. 
Nehemiah turns to God. And here, in this moment of prayer, here is where Nehemiah acknowledges the God who, who has been in his life and in the lives of the Israelite people, but also the God who promises to be involved in the lives of God's people. Here in this prayer, Nehemiah acknowledges the sovereignty of God and the merciful ark that God's people get to be a part of. Here, Nehemiah acknowledges that though that which is in his life has crumbled, that Nehemiah will not fall apart. Here, he acknowledges that he will not be undone because he serves a God who has not been undone. Later, in 1 Corinthians, Paul will say it this way, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair. It is monumental, a critical moment, and Nehemiah turns to God. Prayer is powerful, and prayer is powerful where there is rubble. I suspect you might be familiar with the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer is often credited to Reinhold Niebuhr for authoring it, but I bet you've seen it somewhere. The beginning of it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Niebuhr used this prayer during wartime as he strongly opposed the Nazi forces. He saw rubble and offered this prayer. After the war, it was picked up by Alcoholics Anonymous because it articulates for the prayer that sometimes we find ourselves stranded in the rubble, that life is hard and only appears to be getting harder, that we're sad, that we're afraid, and the only place to go is God. Niebuhr prayed because the people were surrounded by rubble. The people in AA prayed the prayer because they didn't want to be swallowed up by the rubble. Here, Nehemiah's home is surrounded by the rubble, and so he prays. And then, and then, as Nehemiah prays, he asks, and he asks boldly, he requests for the king to send him to Jerusalem that he would be able to rebuild the walls. And I want to make sure you notice, not only did he ask for some time off of work, but he also said, can you please write me a note to pass through the lands that are not supposed to be passed through and tell the people there to give me all the supplies to do all of this and I'm going to need a place to stay. He asks big and he asks boldly and Artaxerxes says, yes. Nehemiah knew that his people were standing on the rubble and he grieved. He was afraid and then he prayed and then he was bold in how he behaved. And because of this, because he was faithful and he was prayerful and he was bold, Nehemiah was given what he needed in order to be the beacon for those who are surrounded by rubble. And then do not miss the end of our passage. The very last thing that we see before we're done is that Nehemiah recognizes that all that was done, all that was done was the work of the gracious hand of God. It wasn't about Nehemiah and if he had prayed hard enough or asked big enough, it wasn't about Artaxerxes and what he was able to do, but that the good work that was done, the good work that was done was the work of God. 
and that they were joining in. Nehemiah and Artaxerxes, they were joining in with the good work that God was calling them to do. And y'all, isn't that exactly who we're called to be as a church? Isn't it that what we are supposed to do, that we would be prayerful and faithful and bold so that we can be a beacon to those who find themselves surrounded by the rubble? Isn't that the good work of the gracious God that is calling Roswell Presbyterian Church to do? That we too would partner alongside of God to do these amazing things. It's who we're called to be. Now I know, and this service in particular, I know that there's all kinds of conversation about intinction and doing communion by intinction when you take the bread and you dip it. The other services, you know, they're all sitting in their seats and y'all are like, come on, let's go. We're going to walk around. It's going to be great. But let me just tell you this. The thing that I love about intinction is that you come to me and I see your face and I get to tell you how much God loves you and how much God delights in loving you. And one of the very first times, it was early on, that I got to serve in tinction in this congregation. I'm standing there, I'm holding the cup, and people are coming forward, and the cup of salvation given for you. The cup of salvation given for you. And I was overwhelmed because a woman comes forward. She's got tears in her eyes, and she comes forward. Her husband has Alzheimer's, and that week he had forgotten her name. The cup of salvation. Just a few people later was a woman that I knew was being abused by her husband, a couple of salvation. Just a few people after that, a couple who had buried their three-year-old earlier in the year, the cup of salvation. After that, a man who had been scammed out of thousands of dollars, the cup of salvation over and over again, the hurt and the rubble are coming forward to hear and receive and hold on to the love of God. And they came here, they came to this place because Roswell Presbyterian Church has been a beacon in their lives. Because in the places where their lives have crumbled, where they have known rubble, you have offered them hope and love that you have been a church to them. And this is the thing, y'all. This is the thing. I watch you do this all the time. I see you be the church. I see you be the beacon all the time. I saw it when the people of the city of Roswell wanted a place for a preschool that would welcome children of color, and the Reverend Cy Mallard welcomed them into RPC when no one else in the community would allow them, and the Child Development Academy was born. I see it every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday night when various AA groups are meeting here in the building, a safe place in the middle of the hard journey of addiction. I saw it when our brothers and sisters of La Familia de Dios found themselves without a place to worship. And not only did you all decide to share the building, but you invited them to be partners of our family of faith. I saw it this past Friday when I ran into a friend of mine who lives in Cumming. They tried lots and lots of different churches before deciding that every Sunday they would drive to Roswell for church because here we have a shadow program and their child is safe and cared for, and they are able to fully participate in church. And I see it every time we have a funeral. 
and the funeral guild, who are all volunteers, by the way, gather together sandwiches and brownies and punch so that the family will have space to gather with their loved ones, to hear the community speak words of hope, to hold them in their grief, to mourn them and celebrate the life of their loved one. I see it all the time. You are a beautiful beacon to people who are in the rubble. All around us, people are finding themselves surrounded by rubble, grieving and fearing and wondering what is ahead. And this place, this place has been the church. And y'all, that's why we, we pray boldly and we act boldly so that we can be a beacon for those who feel that their home, their families, their very selves are crumbling. And that, that's why we're spending a whole season talking about generosity. It's why we're spending all these weeks studying Nehemiah. That's why we're asking for a financial commitment for 2024. Because this place has been doing beacon work for almost 200 years, and this, this community, this world needs that. And I'm willing to argue that they need it now more than ever because we have been called to be people who are boldly about building that which God has called us to build. This church, this church is called to stand as a beacon to those who are struggling and hurting and surrounded by rubble. And then... And then when God, when we are faithful in this good work and we see these amazing things that are happening, then we can proclaim and give thanks for we have seen God's gracious hand at work. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the ways that you call us, for the ways that you move within and among us. So God, help us to be bold in the ways that we pray, in the ways that we act. God, that we would indeed be a beacon for those who are surrounded by rubble. God, be with us and guide us. In your name we pray. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.